at the cross, Jesus won a victory for you that you could never win for you. He paid a debt for you that, that you owed that you could never pay for yourself. And he laid his life down as a sacrifice for your sin and to establish a new relationship with God. It's amazing to think about that, to think about all that God did and all that God accomplished for you and for me through Jesus's death on the cross. As I said over and over the last few weeks, that by 6 p.m. on Good Friday, the world had become a different place. The only real problem with that is at 6 p.m. on Good Friday, no one knew any of that. Matter of fact, none of Jesus's followers standing there on that Friday would have called it good. They would have called it Good Friday. They would have been much more likely to call it the worst day of their lives because on that Friday, the death of Jesus looked an awful lot like death, defeat, and disappointment. It looked like death, defeat, and disappointment. Death, this is definitely stating the obvious, but no one watched a crucifixion and thought, you know what? I bet that guy's gonna bounce back from that. In general, that is a pretty big life truth. Dead people stay dead. Dead people stay dead, and especially crucified people stay dead dead. Interesting crucifixion nugget. In 4 BC, after the death of Herod the Great, there was an uprising and a rebellion against Roman rule in Judea. In response to this uprising, in response to this, the Roman general Varus crushed the rebellion brutally and crucified over 2,000 Jews with the custom for Roman generals spreading out the crucifixions across the highways spaced roughly 40 yards apart as a way to send a message far and wide about what happens to those who rebel against Rome and start a revolution. In 70 AD, the Roman general Vespasian and his son Titus led the siege of Jerusalem, resulting from political unrest and rebellion against Rome. This siege would result in the the physical destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the entire destruction of, of Israel at that time and for, in, for all the times to come. In response, as they overran the city, they crucified so many Jews outside the walls that they ran out of timber. Jesus's crucifixion, amazingly, stood somewhere between 30 and 35 AD, stood almost exactly at the halfway point between these two mass crucifixions. It was incredibly common for people to have seen a crucifixion. When Jesus died, it was death. It was the end. It was the end of his life. It was the end of his physical life. But as it was the end of his physical life, it was also the defeat of what everyone thought he came to do. Everyone following Jesus was following Jesus for a reason. And for many, it was that they believed he was the Messiah, the king to come, the one who would restore Israel in a revolution against Rome and would actually win their freedom as a nation. And on that Friday afternoon, it was apparent there would be no last minute miracles, no last second salvation for Jesus. In fact, some people mocking Jesus from the crowd, uh, they mocked him saying, if he's the son of God, let him call on God to save him from the cross. People who had followed Jesus, they, they were like, that's exactly what he should do. That, that's the most Jesus thing that he should do. He should call on God to save him because the cross is the end of the line. There's no coming back from this. No one would defeat Rome from the cross. No one would defeat Rome from the grave. The cross was death, it was defeat, and it was disappointment. Everything he had promised would come to nothing. That was what they believed on Good Friday, that everything he promised would come to nothing because his death was the end of the movement. 
There would be no more revolution. There would be no more miracles. There would be no more teaching. Surely he wasn't who he had claimed to be because you can't kill and execute the son of God. If he was God in a bod, surely he wouldn't have allowed himself to be pinned to a cross and killed in the most embarrassing and humiliating way possible. When Friday was just Friday, it was nothing but death and defeat and disappointment. And then Friday turned to Saturday. And Saturday turned to Sunday. And then this funny little thing happened. It's recorded in John chapter 20. I say funny little thing. It's the most amazing thing. The thing that, that our faith hinges on, the, the faith in, our faith in Jesus hinges on. In John chapter 20 tells us this. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Notice, when Mary sees that there is no body and their stone has has been rolled away. Her first thought is not that Jesus raised from the dead, but that someone else has stolen the body. This is important for us to understand about, about, the, way, about the feelings that they had and what they experienced and what they witnessed on, on Good Friday and on Saturday and Sunday, what, where their emotional state was. Nobody, nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody. Mary didn't go expecting a resurrection. She went expecting to find a dead body because dead people stay dead. Mary is there because she assumes that the boys who wrapped up Jesus's body did it wrong. And she is freaked out that there is no body where there is supposed to be a body, that the body of Jesus is not where the body of Jesus is supposed to be. In verse three, it tells us this, at that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. They are so confused. It's interesting that he says the other disciples saw and believed. And what he believed was not that Jesus had risen from the dead. What he believed was that the body was missing, that someone had rolled away the stone, that someone had taken the body, that the body in fact was missing. But it tells us they did not understand yet the scriptures that had promised that he must rise from the dead. Then they did return to the place where they were staying. They're so confused about what has happened they just head home. They don't investigate. They don't go looking for footprints. They don't go looking for fingerprints. They don't try to figure out who rolled away the stone. They don't try to figure out why there's one particular part of the towel that's been folded up and placed in the corner. They don't try to figure out why, why, why there's a, a body that apparently is naked. Like there's so much that they should be trying to figure out that their minds are just like swamped and swimming with information. And they just go, let's just head home. Let's just head home and try to figure this out and try to try to figure out what's going on when we get home. But we, we're not going to figure out anything here. Our minds are just completely confused. We'll just head home and let's just try to figure this out. Mary Magdalene it, it decided a different route. They're so confused, they just head home. Mary decides to stay. In verse 11, it told us this, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stopped to look into the tomb. When she did that, she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? 
because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put it. Mary probably at this point thinks she's having a mental breakdown. Oh no, I'm seeing angels no one else sees. And not only that, I'm talking to them. Like this is the conversation that Mary's having. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener. Okay, so Jesus is standing. This is how much she didn't believe Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He's there and she assumes he's the gardener. (laughs) Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher, meaning she recognizes him now. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Verse 19 tells us this, when it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you which is the most hilarious thing you can imagine someone saying when, the, when they've just seen a resurrected, risen body. Like, we, think, we thought you're dead. You're here standing among us. Peace be with us. What in the world is going? They are freaked out. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. In this moment, this is the the account of the resurrection of Jesus. This is one of four accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection changed everything. On Friday, it was death, defeat, and disappointment. And then Sunday came, and Sunday with the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. Death was turned into light. Defeat turned into triumph, disappointment, turned into the fulfillment of everything they were hoping for. Everything changed because of the resurrection. When Mary saw the Savior in the garden, everything changed. When Peter and John walked into his empty tomb, everything changed. When the 10 saw Jesus standing in front of them in a room where they were crowding, trying to figure out what's going on, and Jesus comes and says, peace be still, everything changed for them. When he told Thomas to feel his the, the nail hole in his his hands and in his feet. Everything changed. When they had breakfast with him on the beach, everything changed. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. Absolutely everything. It changed everything they experienced on Friday into the fulfillment of everything that they had hoped for all along in Jesus. It changed everything. The hope that had died was restored. Faith that they had lost was found again in Jesus. The resurrection changed everything and the resurrection still changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus is still the central point of our faith, the central point of our hope. The reason that we believe everything that we believe about Jesus is because of the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 and 20 through 22, Paul wrote, this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Because of the resurrection, we know that sins are forgiven. Because of the resurrection, we know that our faith has a purpose. Because of the resurrection, we know that there is hope when hope seems lost. But if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. 
For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. The resurrection changed and changes everything. The resurrection, in other words, the resurrection is the living proof of everything he claimed to be and everything he claimed he would do. I titled this message, Living Proof, because the resurrection of Jesus is living, breathing proof of everything that Jesus claimed to be and everything he claimed he would do. You could say it this way, the resurrection verified, clarified, and amplified everything Jesus claimed. When he claimed he was the way, the truth, and the life, what they didn't know before the, before his death and resurrection, they now understood what he meant when he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. When he claimed to be the bread of life, they now knew and they had clarified exactly what he meant, that he was the bread of life. When he claimed to be the resurrection and the life, before they're like, okay, sometimes he seems to raise people from the dead. That's kind of a cool thing. Now, now, now they know, no, he is the, the resurrection. He is the life. No one had to go and raise him from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. When he said he was the source of living water, he was the source of life. They now knew what this meant. It verified, it clarified, and it amplified everything Jesus claimed. Everything he claimed to be and everything he claimed to do. The resurrection the walking, talking, breathing body of Jesus that was seen by Mary, that was seen by Peter and John, that was seen by his 10 disciples, that was seen by the 120, that was seen by over 500 people after he raised from the dead, that he walked and talked with for 40 days after he, after he raised from the dead. The resurrected body of Jesus is the living proof, the living proof of everything he claimed to be and everything he claimed he would do. The resurrection of Jesus, it verified, it clarified, and it amplified everything Jesus claimed. The resurrection of Jesus is the living proof of everything he claimed to be and everything he claimed he would do. And if that wasn't enough, I want, today, I want to talk about three things really quickly that I believe the resurrection is living proof of. Number one is that the resurrection is living proof that God loves you. Is, is living proof that God loves you. Jesus said, that, again, whatever Jesus said, because of the resurrection, we believe that it is absolute truth. In John chapter three, verses 14 through 16, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you. God loves the world and the world includes you. You're like, I don't know that it includes me. That means he loves the world. He, can, he loves everyone. Okay, no, he loves everyone. And you are part of of everyone. And for some of you, you have a hard time believing that God can love you. Maybe because your parents didn't show you the type of love that you hoped for. Maybe because the world has been unkind to you so that you think the world is, is against you. Maybe you think after everything that you've done, no one could really love you. Maybe because relationships have been difficult and, and no one has really stuck around, you think that no one could really love you. And I've got some good news for you. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul wrote this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, 
Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. God loves sinners. God loves sinners. If you're like, I'm the worst of the world, like after everything I've done, God could never love me. I'm such a sinner. God loves sinners. It's the only kind of people there are. God loves sinners. It's the only kind of people there are to love, so God loves sinners. You think again, not, not, not me. I'm, I'm in a special class of sinners. I've done some things that I'm so ashamed of. I carry so much guilt. I carry so much shame. It, it, not, not me. And Paul would say, no, no, I'm the worst of sinners. And God showed his extraordinary patience to me. And so I just want to let you know, here's the truth of this, of this passage of scripture. Here's the truth that we need to make sure that we understand. If it can work for Paul, it can work for y'all. All right. If it can work for Paul, it can work for y'all. No matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, no matter what your sin, if it can work for Paul, it can work for y'all. God's love is available for you because God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to lay down his life so that you could know the love of your heavenly father. The resurrection is the living proof that God loves you. Yes, you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been, God loves you. And the resurrection is the living proof. The second thing is that the the resurrection is the living proof that God keeps his promises. Jesus actually prophesied and promised that he would suffer, die, and then raise again. Somehow his disciples missed this whole thing, that the death Death and resurrection was part of the plan, that his death was part of the plan, that the resurrection was part of the plan. They missed the whole thing. He talked about this over and over and over, multiple times, multiple times, multiple times, to multiple different people, to, to entire crowds of people, and they missed it. But he prophesied and promised that he would die and raise from the dead, and he kept his promise. And again, when someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, I just believe we listen to what they say and we take them at their word that they will keep their promise. And the resurrection is the clearest proof possible that God keeps his promises. Two verses from the New Testament that help us here. In Hebrews 10, 23, they wrote, let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. God keeps his promise. So we can hold to the hope that we have without wavering. The world is going to waver around us. Our own emotions are going to waver us. But our hope does not ever waver because we know that the one who promised is faithful. And if he is able to raise his son from the dead when death is the end of every other story, that God is able to keep his promises. In Philippians 1 verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What God begins, what God starts, what God promises, God finishes, God fulfills. There is no promise of God that has not been fulfilled. And so here's the amazing thing. The resurrection is the living proof that God keeps his promise, which means he will keep every promise in his word to his people, to those who follow him. Every promise he has made in his word, he will keep his promises. You can count on that. And he will keep every promise he has whispered to you in a moment. You can count on that as well. And then the resurrection, finally, number three, the resurrection is living proof that God is not done working even when you can't see him working. 
He is working in even the worst of moments of our lives. He's working in every moment of our lives. Two verses from the New Testament. In John chapter 5, verse 17, this is something Jesus said before he died and before he rose from the dead. Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. My father is always working, and so am I. That Jesus, the Son of God, that God, our Heavenly Father, are always working. Whether we can see it, whether we understand it, whether we perceive it, always working. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul wrote this, no, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And the good news for some of you this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, is that the resurrection is the living proof for you that God is never done working. He never stops working even when you can't see it. I think in, in the moment of the resurrection, this is a moment it, it, at, at the, the, the death of Jesus, the cross was a moment where everyone looking at it would have been going, God can't use this. God can't use this pain, this difficulty, this tragedy, this injustice. God can't take this and make anything good out of it. It's just death. It's just defeat. It's just disappointment. It's just destruction. It's just a whole bunch of terrible, horrible things. It's the most horrible death that you could possibly imagine. It's a death designed to, to, to make sure that a person doesn't come back to life. That's what, a, what, that's what a crucifixion was. That's what the cross represented. Surely God could not work out of this. Surely God wouldn't work like this. No one could see that this was the way that God was gonna do things. No one could understand. No one could perceive it. And yet in the moment that we would have been most horrified, God was doing his best work. God was just getting started. In the moment where everyone watching thought the story had come to a close, God knew the real story of salvation was just beginning. And I just want to let some of you know, there's something, for some of you, there's something going on in your life where you cannot see and you cannot perceive that God is still working, that God is actively working on your behalf, that things have gone so wrong, things have gotten so dark, things have become so, such, so desperate that you go, I, God cannot be working in this. And I just want to remind you what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17. My father is always working and so am I. The resurrection is living proof that God is working. He is not done working even when you can't see him working. There are moments in your life where it is time to trust that your heavenly father is working, to lean into him, into his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his strength and his ability to do what you can't see, to keep working for, on your behalf, even when you don't know and recognize how he's working on your behalf. The resurrection is living proof that God loves you, that God loves you, that God loves you no matter who you've been, no matter what you've done, and no matter who you've been. The resurrection is living proof that God loves you. It's living proof that God keeps his promises, and it's living proof that God is never done working on 
your behalf and for his purposes for you. The resurrection is living proof. That's why it's the center point of our faith. That's why it's the very reason we believe that Jesus is everything he claimed to be and did what he claimed to be and that he'll keep his promises today and that he is never done working in you and through you and for you and on behalf of you. Today, that's why we trust in a risen Savior. That's why we trust in a Savior because he's the risen Savior. And as he rose from the dead, he put a living proof stamp that he is who he claimed to be and that he'll do everything he claimed to do. Today, for some of you, because of that, this may be the first moment in a long time where you feel like, I get it. It's not just belief in belief. It's not just faith in faith. It's not just hope in hope. It's hope in a person who died for my sins and who rose from the dead so that we could know what he did when he died, what his death was ultimately about. That he, when he rose from the dead, it clarified what his death was all about. It verified what his death was all about. It amplified what his death was all about. It amplified everything his life was all about. It clarified everything that he claimed to be about himself. And it verified everything he claimed about himself to be true. That's what the resurrection of Jesus did. That's what the resurrection of Jesus accomplished. It verified, it clarified, and it amplified everything Jesus claimed. And today, the good news is because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can know Jesus. You can know him for yourself. You can know the life that he has for you. You can know the peace that he has for you. You can be a recipient of the promises that he has for you and the work that he has done for you by placing your trust in him. In his death on the cross that paid for your sins, that when he died to undo everything that sin had done to you, when you receive Christ as your savior, you receive the gift of new life and the fact that sin has been, your sin has been dealt with. And when you place your trust in the resurrected king, the resurrected savior, the resurrected one who won a victory over death, hell, and the grave, the resurrected one who paid a price for you that you could never pay for you, the resurrected one who who made us who laid his life down as a sacrifice for you what you receive is the new life that is only found in him and so for some of you today as we pray i'm going to encourage you to speak to your heavenly father right now and ask him to forgive you of your sins to to re- that you would receive the forgiveness that comes from Jesus's death on the cross and that you would receive the new life that can only be found in him as i pray i want to encourage you to pray and to let us know that you're that you're making a step to follow Jesus and to receive everything he has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as we pray and as as people are praying all around our city, all around our state, all around the country, maybe even all over the world, God, I thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for Good Friday. Thank you for the death of Jesus. Thank you that a victory was won and a debt was paid and a sacrifice was made. Thank you that what happened on Friday was good, even when no one looking at it would say it was good. Thank you that it was good because of what it accomplished for us. And God, thank you that we know what it accomplished for us because of Sunday, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that because of Jesus' resurrection, we know everything that Jesus claimed about himself was true. Everything Jesus claimed about you was true. Thank you that it verified and it clarified and it amplified everything Jesus claimed. And that because of Jesus's new life, we can have life in you. Thank you that we can know it's true, that you love us. Thank you that we can know no matter where we've been and no matter what we've done and no matter who we've been, we can know your love and we can experience it right now. 
God, thank you that because of Jesus' resurrection, we can know that you keep your promises, that you are trustworthy, that you're a trustworthy God who keeps his promises. And God, thank you that because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that you are a God who is always working, even when we can't see how you're working that you would even work through something as crazy as the cross, as deadly as the cross, as dark as the cross, that you would accomplish life out of that. Thank you that we can trust that you're a God who never stops working on our behalf. And God, today, I simply pray for everyone right now who is praying a prayer to receive your grace and to receive your love and to receive your peace. I pray that they would know right now in this moment that you are for them, that you are with them, that you love them, and you have what's best for them, and that you can be trusted with their lives and with their salvation. So God, meet us where we're at right now. Thank you so much for what we, what we get to know and what we get to experience because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for Jesus. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.